Well, hey, hey, hey there. Good morning. Welcome to the Story Church here in the Museum District, and welcome to our Timber Grove campus as well. And if you're joining us online, you're part of the story as well, no matter where you are. Geographically this morning, if you're tuning in, you're part of us, and we're so thankful that you're taking the time. I'm thankful that y'all are here in person as well for our 11th Sunday in our new building here in the Museum District. If it's your first time, extra special welcome to you for joining us today. I hope that you find the story to be a warm hospitable place where you don't have to have all your um, faith and religious questions figured out. You can bring your doubts and questions here without any judgment. That's what we're here for. And uh, I would love to get to know you better. My name is, is Eric. I'm the lead pastor here. I want to tell you about a couple of things real quick. Just these are going to be like lightning fast. You heard about Easter. It's two weeks away until Easter. Our first Easter in this building, every hour on the hour, starting at 7 in the morning until 11 o'clock uh, that, later that day. And, and so uh, 7 o'clock is going to be outside. I encourage you to check out the sunrise service if you're an early riser that day. It's going to be fun. I'm sure the weather's going to be lovely. It's going to be perfect. And, and I can't wait to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus with you on the 17th of April. Also, uh, real, real quick, y'all got these when you came in. Please just pay attention to these. If you love the story, you love our mission, you want to support the expansion of our mission um, in the coming year. Um, what we're looking for is a commitment from every family or person that loves the story for your financial support for the rest of this year. We didn't do one of these in the fall, so plan for 2022 because we were getting ready to move and uh, looking for a home and we were so disrupted. So now we're looking for three quarters of a year, Q2, Q3, and Q4. We need to know how much you plan to support the story financially so that we can plan accordingly and get our financial house in order. There's a little card inside of this. Uh, envelope here that that uh, that that uh, inside of this brochure that talks about um, how to make those commitments. I just want to thank you in advance for getting those in in a timely way that really helps us to be good stewards of what God has given us. All right. One of the line items in the budget there on the back of that brochure talks about multi-siding. That's a real big part of what we are about at the story. We are not on a mission to build a mega church a place where there's like one spotlight on like a, a, one personality or like one, we're, we're in the movement of God business. And we think that that movement pushes us outward, not to create a giant platform where one community gathers around one person, but we send people out. We want to send leaders out. We've got the Timber Grove thing rolling. We want to keep doing that. And that's what the multi-site um, line item is for the $400,000 there, is the continued support of Timber Grove and looking ahead to where we might go next in the city of Houston, where we might send our next great leader like Pastor Kale in Timber Grove as we expand. So uh, just thank you again for your support in that way. All right. Now, week five of a six-week series on Pain. Now, I know you go up this morning and thought, I can't wait. I can't wait to hear Pastor Eric talk more about pain. It's what I live for. It's what I go to church for. It's what you got up in the morning, right? <laughs> okay. You don't have to lie at church, okay? What we're talking about is not just pain and how much life hurts. We're talking about the unique way that Christianity would have us to approach the pain that we inevitably encounter in this life. Because your worldview is everything. And if Christianity is your worldview, I think that ultimately changes how you cope with and overcome pain. I think what Christianity has to offer in light of our pain in this life is 
superior. It's better, more satisfying than any other worldview that you will encounter. And so I think that's really why this matters. So far in this series, in the first four weeks, we've talked a lot about emotional kinds of pain, um, agony and betrayal and abandonment. All of that is real, but it occurred to me as I planned the series, we need to talk about physical pain. And it's weird to me how little we talk about this because if any kind of pain is 100% universal, it's physical bodily pain, the pain that the Bible calls affliction. Okay, so affliction is what we're gonna talk about today, which affects all of us. You might not be in pain right now, but there is a 100% chance <laughs> that you will be in pain in this life, in these bodies, Maybe you'll come back to this message one day later on when you're in different circumstances. But the Apostle Paul wrestled, and the early Christians wrestled with afflictions a lot because they were especially afflicted. It's not like they came to Jesus and stopped feeling pain. They came to Jesus and their pain increased, and yet they clung to Jesus. The question is why? What difference did that make? Check out, this is just a summary, really. This passage is just a summary of what the Christians believed about pain in the first generation church. This is, you don't have to open your Bibles for this one. We'll do that later. Just listen to what he says. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses seven through 18. He writes, we have this treasure in jars of clay. So the gospel is the treasure. The jars of clay are these broken bodies of ours. Okay, we have treasures in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Afflicted means physical harm or pain, but we're not crushed by it. We're, we're not impervious to it, but we're not crushed by it. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Physically struck down is that word. Hit, punched down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Every day feels like a little bit more like death sometimes, but that's all for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, so we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For This is important. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory, that means light, literal light, the light of God that he talks about being a weight of eternal glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient, the things that are unseen are eternal. So let's talk about what that means today. Affliction, the definition of affliction is something that causes great pain or suffering or distress, okay? I don't know what all suffering and pain exists in this room. I think it's fair and safe to say that there's real pain in this room right now. Anybody hurting today? Just, just we don't, we, we put our happy masks on at church. I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. But everybody here is probably hurting in some way or another, whether it's a chronic condition or just you stubbed your toe on the way to church and you said a curse word when you did it and you're like, I got to repent of that later. It's like uh, everybody, whether it's a, uh, struggling with, I know we've got people here or maybe at Timber Grove or online that struggle with headaches. 
And that's a real problem. Headaches, migraines, cluster headaches, stress headaches, neck pain, back pain, tooth pain. That's the worst pain. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah, tooth pain sufferers. We got people with arthritis, young people, old people suffering these days with arthritis and joint pains. We've got bum knees, bad hips, twisted ankles. We've got, we've got all kinds of, of physical pain. There are people who suffer silently with conditions like IBS or like Crohn's disease. And no one or very few people really know what that suffering is like, how deep that suffering goes because there's stigma and, and shame attached to stuff like that. And so many of them suffer in silence. I guarantee you there's people here right now suffering that way. And they always have to watch what they eat um, because it, it can destroy them and, and make life untenable. Uh, there's, there, there, are, there are people here suffering in all kinds of ways. Now, there are, there are women hurting in ways that are unique to woman. Hood suffering in that regard causes them to simultaneously hate and envy all men all the time. <laughs> there are men who are suffering in our own ways this morning, probably experiencing random chest pains, wondering, are we gassy or am I dying? Like, what is happening? But we always agree, all men everywhere agree that the one way to avoid a negative diagnosis of this chest pain is just not go to the doctor, like we just avoid the diagnosis that way, which makes no sense whatsoever, men, you should get yourself to a doctor, get yourself checked, your health matters, but we often avoid it because um, we don't want to know. I just think it's safe to assume that there are some of us who are in pain this morning. Some of you are in pain and you don't know why, like it just doesn't go away. And no one believes you anymore because it's been going on for so long and you don't have answers. You've been to the doctor. The doctor didn't give you any answers. Your mom told you to eat more meat, so you tried that. Your preacher told you to pray more, so you tried that. Your hippie friend told you to do yoga more, so you tried that. Your judgmental vegan aunt said, your pain is nothing compared to the pain you caused the animals that you ate when your mom said, eat more meat. So you try to be a vegan, like you've tried everything. Some white lady down the street said, essential oils is what you need. And so you tried that and that didn't work. Nothing has worked. Nothing has worked. And the longer it goes on, the more alone you feel because you feel like people close to you are beginning to doubt whether you really are in pain or you just are starved for attention. And, and, and while you would give anything to make the suffering go away, you would give almost as much just to be believed. And that's a pain in its own right. In some form or fashion, physical pain affects all of us. Now, 10% of American adults are dealing with chronic pain. I think that's a conservative number um, just because of how Americans are wired to, to not um, admit it sometimes when we're in pain. 100% of American adults are going to be altered by pain. Think about the way pain, physical pain changes you. It changes your outlook, your attitude, your mood, your relationships. It changes how patient you are, how irritable you become. It changes your character when it goes on for long enough, unchecked, right? Of course, of course pain changes how we are with other people and how we feel about ourselves, maybe even how we feel about God. Now, maybe most importantly, studies have shown a correlation between physical pain and suicidality. 
and this is, this is obviously worst case scenario, but I, I think it's a shame that we don't talk about this worst case outcome more often because it's such a sacred thing, life. And if, if physical pain is a, is a direct uh, uh, cause of suicidal thoughts, we should talk about physical pain more. I've never preached a sermon about physical pain before. I've preached a thousand sermons in my life. Have you ever heard one? I don't think, I don't think I've heard many. Why not? We've got to talk about how we are affected by pain, how we manage pain. Scientists did a study of hundreds of suicide notes left behind by people that took their own lives, and two-thirds of those notes pointed to physical pain as one of the causes for them wanting to take their own life. Two-thirds is a big, big number, so we need to talk about this. I do believe that the Christian view of pain management and overcoming pain is uh, unlike anything else this world offers because the Christian view of pain isn't one that diminishes pain. Christianity doesn't say just get over it. Christianity doesn't say just suck it up, buddy. Christianity doesn't say your pain doesn't matter. But, but Christianity doesn't do what other religions do either. And sometimes religions treat pain as a form of just cosmic punishment for sins you committed in this life or your past lives It's all just catching up to you. There's nothing you can do about it. There's really no hope when it comes to the pain that you feel. And this is how religion often treats pain. Christianity doesn't do that. We also don't do what many secular worldviews would have us do, which is to just chalk pain up to the results of being accidentally alive in this indifferent universe that just spat us out. Whoops, and here we are. So deal with your pain. Everybody's in pain. Get over it. That's not what Christianity does. It's much more nuanced and sophisticated than that. I think more satisfying than that. And so I want to talk about how Christianity looks at pain. And if you're not a Christian, this this is intended to, to be a sales pitch of sorts. I want you to see what sets the Christian faith apart when it comes to dealing with something that affects all of us. And the first thing that Jesus teaches us about pain is that when you are following him, it's always purposeful, never random. Now, I wanna be very careful about how I say this part because when I say that pain is purposeful, I don't mean that every kind of pain you and your loved ones endure in this life is part of God's perfect plan or his perfect will for your life. I'm just saying that when you have faith in Christ, your pain is never in vain. I said this last week, you, you never suffer senselessly. And whether or not the pain you're enduring is God's perfect will for your life, and I don't think it always is. Sometimes it's us choosing our will over God's will. Sometimes it's just a result of our fallen, broken nature. Whatever the case, Jesus intervenes in our pain and repurposes it. What we're saying is not only is the God we worship in Sundays like this, not only is this God sovereign over our salvation, but God is sovereign over our suffering too. And what is, what is special about a God who is sovereign over suffering is that when we hurt, we don't do so needlessly or without reason. God makes the reason as we suffer. Instead of letting us suffer in vain, God comes alongside of us and takes this pain that would otherwise destroy us and repurposes it to, to restore, stretch, challenge, strengthen us. That's what our God does with pain, is he makes us better 
by going through it. So in this way, for believers in Christ, pain is always purposeful. The second thing I think is important to note about Christians and our, our view of pain is that pain is an ally and not an enemy. This is some next level stuff, and it really is, this part's easier said than done, okay? We treat pain like an enemy. When we're in pain, we hate the pain. What I'm gonna challenge you to think about is the fact that maybe you don't hate the pain, but maybe you hate whatever the pain is signaling. All right? Stay with me here. Dr. Paul Brand, one of my heroes, he died in 2004, but just one of the great heroes of faith. He was born in 1914, and he grew up in the mountains of rural Southwest India. Both of his parents were missionaries there, and they served the people there who were part of the outcast caste in the Indian society, okay? Sort of the untouchables in the Indian caste system. So Dr. Paul Brand, he grew up around this, this life, and, and when he came of age, he went off to college, went off to med school, and established himself as a world-renowned orthopedic surgeon. In his early 30s, after he got married and all this, he felt this nudge in his heart. He felt God calling him back to India, where he had been raised, where his parents had ministered in his younger years, to serve the people there. And this is an image of Dr. Brand um, holding the hand of one of the children that he served as a physician in India. While he was there, instead of practicing just family medicine, he was challenged by his mentors in, in the medical field to apply his specialty, his expertise of orthopedics, to an especially challenging and mysterious disease that was wreaking havoc in that region a disease called leprosy. Now you've heard of leprosy because it is known as like the world's oldest and most fearsome disease. It's mentioned in the Bible. People in the Bible who were uh, diagnosed with leprosy had to socially distance. Have you ever read that part of Leviticus where they had to keep their distance and say, unclean, unclean? Anytime someone came near them, that's how much this disease was feared. And, and in other ancient texts, a similar sort of thing, they had to wear bells and stuff like that to keep others away from them. That's, I'm gonna move this. That, I keep kicking it. That is how much people feared leprosy. Now, the common wisdom among physicians for not just centuries, but millennia, the common wisdom was that leprosy was a, a, an infection of the skin, painful infection of the skin that was like a flesh-eating um, illness or disease. That's why people with leprosy often lost parts of their limbs. They had deformed hands, like that kid in that picture I showed you earlier. They had deformed hands or fingers or feet or toes. Sometimes their faces would be deformed. And the thinking was, this is a flesh-eating disease, and that's what was so scary about it. Dr. Brand studied leprosy and, and, and uh, pe people who suffered with that disease and realized for the first time ever, he discovered that the problem with leprosy isn't that it's flesh eating, but that it is flesh numbing. It's not a disease of the skin, but one of the nervous system. And so the, the worst thing about leprosy isn't the pain that it causes its victims, it is the painlessness because whenever these people living in places like rural India in the mountains uh, were nicked and scraped or scratched or cut, if they had leprosy, they often couldn't feel those 
open wounds being opened and they didn't realize it in a timely way. Just think about if, if, if you're at home this afternoon and you're slicing some raw meat or some vegetables or something and you slice your finger, you'll feel it and that pain will be a signal to you, something's wrong, you've got to dress the wound. And if your kids get cut up or scraped or if, you're, if you step on a rusty nail, or like, your response is always the same because pain is your ally. Pain leads you to address that which is wrong. What do you do? You rinse it with water. You uh, put some of that Neosporin stuff on it. Or maybe if you really like the bubbly, fizzy stuff, you know, the, what's it called? Car I'm going to say carbon dioxide. It's not that. <laughs> Peroxide. That's what it is. Okay. So you can pour some of that on it. You can, you can dress the wound and make sure you've covered it up so that you don't get it infected. What if you didn't feel yourself being wounded? See, when I Whenever we say, I hate the pain or I don't wanna feel pain, I'm not sure we know what we're saying. And I know if you're in pain today, this can seem like the farthest thing from what you want to hear me say. I'm not diminishing your pain. And I think it's perfectly normal and natural for someone to say, I hate what, what I'm feeling right now, take it away. I just think it's helpful for us to also realize pain is a, is a signal that something's wrong. It's an ally in the fight against disease and death. And the problem in, in places like Southwest India was that people were working with animals, people were working with their hands, people didn't have clean water in their homes, and they would get all kinds of other infections by way of these open wounds that they could not feel. Painlessness isn't the blessing that it sounds like. And that kind of gets me to the third way in which Christians look differently at pain. Pain for us is not just a curse, but it is a grace. So if pain is a reminder, something is off. Pain in your body is a reminder to do something, maybe to rest. I don't know, my wife and I were talking this week about some pain that she had in her, in her neck and back, maybe like a pinched nerve situation. And we both agreed that if she didn't have that pain, she would never stop and she would further damage her body were it not for the pain telling her to slow down. That's what pain does, slow down, seek help. Even if it means just logging on to WebMD to see what, <laughs> what terminal disease is gonna keep you up at night until your next doctor's appointment, like whatever the case, it, it causes you to take action. But it goes beyond that, really. Pain, we look at pain as a grace of sorts. I'm not saying Christians are gluttons for punishment. We don't go seeking out more pain to prove how awesome our faith is. No, 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 it's not, that's not it. But when pain does come our way, we don't run from it. We don't identify ourselves by it. We don't cower from it. We don't let it change who we are. So, uh, and we don't fear it. This is, this is the Christian way. We refuse to be victimized, or it should be the Christian way. We refuse to be victimized by pain. As a Christian, if you're following Jesus, you are never more like him than when you keep the faith through the pain. You're never more like Jesus than when you endure a season of great pain without losing the heart of your faith, right? Jesus's pain was real. That's what we've been talking about. That's really what this series is about is not our pain, but Jesus's pain and how he handled it. And it wasn't just the emotional, relational pain that he felt like betrayal and abandonment. It was real physical pain. 
perhaps the most painful thing a man can go through is crucifixion at the hands of the Romans, and that's what Jesus did. So let's take a look at how Jesus handled the pain that uh, was dished out to him. Turn your Bibles to Luke 23. Uh, That's the third uh, book in the New Testament. Luke chapter 23, there's a Bible in the the seat back in front of you. This is a story of uh, Jesus's experience and response to pain. Verse 26 of chapter 23. All right. As the soldiers led Jesus away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A a large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you'll say, blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore, the breasts that never nursed. And then they'll say to the mountains, fall on us, to the hills, cover us. He's talking about the suffering that would come to Jerusalem when Babylon destroyed that city uh, in 70 AD. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the other criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Then they divided up his clothes and cast lots. Um, The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. That was meant to be further mockery, humiliation. The king of the Jews hanging naked on a tree like a criminal, right? This is, this is meant to further add insult to injury. But the other criminal rebuked Uh, I'm sorry, uh, what did I, verse 39. One of the criminals who was hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our our, our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. There's a few things that jump off the page at me when I look at Jesus overcoming his physical bodily pain. And the first thing I I think is, uh, I don't know, it it jumped off the page at me, maybe not you, but it it got my attention, given what I know about myself. So Jesus never complained to people about his pain. Now, a couple things I just want to point out. I'm not saying you can't open your heart to your spouse, your friends, your small group, your pastor, and talk about how much it hurts. I'm just saying, if I was in Jesus's place, I would have told everybody about the awful, awful day I was having. Like, you have no idea what I've been through, how bad my back hurts, this sucks. Like, I would totally just be whining to everyone who would listen. 
And, and I also want to point out that Jesus did complain. But in the rare instances when he complained, he complained straight to the Father. Remember in Gethsemane when he said, take this cup from me? I don't want this. Remember that? He complained straight to God. He didn't complain to his friends about what God was putting him through. He took it straight to the Father, and he did it again on the cross when he said, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are just precise examples of times that Jesus took his petitions and complaints straight to God. What can we learn from this? Look, complaining and being a complainer to other people, I know it kind of feels good in the moment, but what does it get you? when you're in pain. What does that do for you? I would, I would venture to guess it doesn't do a lot for you. It probably actually works against you. You know how they say misery loves company? When you become a complainer, you attract other complainers and you find that the people around you are listening to you less and complaining back at you more or maybe they're complaining about you <laughs> to other people because you're always complaining. Like that's how it works. When we, when we give ourselves over to complaining. But the more important point here is what Jesus shows us about taking our complaints and our pain straight to the Father. Because what Jesus models for us here is, is the willingness to trust God so implicitly that even when it hurts and you're tempted to just complain and, sh and shake your fist at the sky, you level with God about your pain. And when you level with God about your pain, you level up your prayer life and your intimacy with the Father because you're showing him and others around you that you trust him enough to take it straight to him in prayer. I think that's the kind of intimacy the Father wants with us. I think that's why Jesus did what he did in spite of his, what must have been excruciating pain. If you wanna know more about the science of Roman crucifixion, join me on Good Friday. I'll take you through exactly the physical pain that Jesus endured on uh, Friday the, the 15th here at uh, this campus, all right? So the second thing that Jesus shows us, aside from taking his complaints straight to God, is that he accepted in his moment of darkness and pain help from a friend. This little detail about Simon of Serene carrying Jesus's cross for him is one that's often overlooked. I don't think you should overlook it at all. It's striking to me. So you have this African man who's in town, presumably for the Passover. Maybe he's an African Jewish man or a Jewish man who moved with his family to Serene generations ago. But we know that he, at some point, maybe at this point of carrying Jesus's cross for him, became a follower of Jesus. And we know this because his two boys were in Jerusalem with him. We know them by name. Rufus and Alexander are named in the Gospel of Mark, following their daddy as he carries this criminal's cross down the Via Dolorosa toward Golgotha. And then Rufus and Alexander are mentioned in Romans chapter 16 as some of the key leaders of the early church. So this Simon of Serene guy plays a key role. And the important thing to note is Jesus lets him. Listen, if anybody was strong enough to bear their own burdens, it was Jesus. He's God in the flesh. He could probably handle that cross all the way to Calvary. But he let someone else help in his hour of need. 
So what this means is when I say, don't be a complainer, don't be someone who's always complaining to people about whatever pain you're going through. It doesn't mean be macho. It doesn't mean that you're self-sufficient. You still can be vulnerable and accept the help of others for your own sake, but also for theirs. How often do we, in our pride, prevent people from being Jesus to us? by serving us. That's what they're there for. That's why God puts them in your path in your hour of need is to serve you. Let them. You'll be better for it, and they will too. Jesus shows us this by allowing Simon to take up his cross on his behalf. Third and finally, Jesus handled his afflictions and overcame them by continuing, even in his pain, to prioritize the needs of others. This is wild, but and this is another one of those things easier said than done. But Jesus, on multiple occasions, as he was going through the most painful thing anyone can go through, he's always checking on others. Have you ever noticed in the story that we read earlier, the women are weeping for him? Oh, Jesus, we're so sorry. Jesus, hang in there. Jesus is like, don't, don't weep for me, ladies. Weep for yourselves if you're weeping. Weep for your children, that's fine. But don't weep for me. God's got me, right? So he's checking in on them in his hour of greatest need. And this is, uh, uh, this is not unusual for Jesus. Think about some of the other times uh, that he did this. The Roman soldiers who mocked and murdered Jesus, nailing him to the tree. What did Jesus do in response to their abuse? Father, forgive them. And I'm sure he said it in a way that they could hear it. Forgive them. Even from the cross, Jesus is serving those who put him there with his grace and forgiveness. He's getting outside of himself, even in his greatest hour of darkness. And he does the same thing with the thief on the cross next to him, who's in the same kind of agony that he was in, uh, suffering the same afflictions that Jesus was. What did Jesus say to that thief on the cross next to him? Take heart, young man. Today, today, you're gonna be with me in paradise. Jesus, again, getting outside of himself, even in his suffering, to minister to the needs of others. And it's not in this passage, but it's in other gospel accounts of the crucifixion. Jesus is worried about his mother in his final moments of life before breathing his last. He's worried about his mom and his mom is there with him and his best friend and only disciple who made it to the cross, John, were there with him at Calvary as he died. And he was worried about them because he said, mama, I don't know where my brothers and sisters are. They didn't believe in Jesus until after the resurrection. They just thought he was crazy. So Jesus didn't know what Mary was going to endure and whether she would live her years alone in her elderly years. So he said, mama, this is your son now. John, take care of my mom. And then he looked at John. He didn't know how lonely John felt right then, or maybe he did. <laughs> maybe he did. He said, John, this is your mom. Take heart. You're not alone. He made sure they had each other before he breathed his last breath. This is who Jesus is. Even in his moments of greatest pain, he reached out to others. Now, oftentimes the way that pain changes us is it turns us inward. 
pain causes us to become uh, more self-interested, self-centered even, um, selfish, if I can use that word. I don't mean, if you're in pain and you can only think about your pain, I'm not judging you or diminishing your pain. I'm just saying that when you're following Jesus, there's more. There's more he can make of your pain than just you being, woe is me, alone in the fight. There is more. He can draw you out of yourself to see the needs of those around you. And when in your greatest hour of pain, you seek out those who are suffering too and you make their pain a bigger deal than yours, you are living the gospel. You are demonstrating the truth and glory of Christ to the world around you. When you, though you are in pain, seek out others to serve them and minister to them, that's a witness. And I think that's what Jesus was embodying for us on the cross. Look, I think one of the greatest challenges, maybe the greatest challenge of our generation, I'm just lumping all of our generations, from the boomers, let me hear you boomers, boomers, all the way to Gen X, millennials, Gen Z, and whatever the little ones are. I don't know what comes after Gen Z, probably the apocalypse. But anyway, <laughs> whatever the case, we in our day and age are crippled with our self-absorption. We are wrapped up in ourselves, maybe more than any other generation ever has been. We think of the world and the universe revolving around us even when we don't. That's kind of how we act. Even if we don't think it, we're acting that way a lot of the time. And Jesus is offering us a way out of that because that really is a form of slavery. That is a form of, uh, of uh, that kind of selfishness is a form of uh, captivity that Jesus is showing us the way out of to liberate and save us from that. And I've seen that in real life, real people, not just Jesus on these pages of the Bible. I've seen people, believers, who were so full of the Holy Spirit that even when they went through hell on earth, they looked out for others first. And they lived the gospel. And others saw it and responded. Some of y'all don't remember Casey. Casey was a young man who was a part of this church. Um, it was a bright light. He was one of those guys though, that had a past and everybody that knew Casey was going to church. They were like, I gotta check out this church. This must be the most amazing church ever if Casey's going. But Casey was just vivacious, full of life and always looking out for others. And then he got cancer, leukemia, a rare and deadly form of leukemia and fought for his life for like a year. But even when he did, he never let it change who he was. And I sat by Casey's bed in, at MD Anderson. And whenever I would go there, he would mostly be sleeping. But he would wake up, and the first question was always, Pastor Eric, you okay? <laughs> or with his wife, you all right, sweetie? How are the kids? Everything good? Even though he was hooked up to all kinds of machines and near the end, in a hospital bed. I've seen the same with my mom who's been battling her third round of cancer for four years, now battling faithfully and fearlessly, always checking in on others. What I'm telling you is when you see that in people, it's not just because they're nicer than us. It's not an act either. It is the gospel being lived out in them and it is real. And it comes from before the fight, 
before the battle, before the pain, having been filled with the Holy Spirit and with the grace of God to such an extent that your resources cannot be depleted. You cannot be defeated. You cannot be overcome by pain because God is your source. You don't need to be self-sufficient because the Holy Spirit fills you. So if you want that freedom, if you want that salvation, if you're hurting now or if you know the pain I'm talking about, it can be yours. This freedom can be yours by trusting in Jesus first, by trusting God with your prayers, by accepting the help of the people God puts in your path, and by responding to the needs of others before your own. It's not behavior modification. It's not changing your personality. It starts with just asking Jesus to be the Lord of your life. It's very simple. Lord, I've tried everything else. I've tried to be my own God. Nothing has worked. I need you. If you pray that prayer, you can have him. You can be his, and he can be the Lord of your life, showing you how to overcome even the darkest days. Would you pray with me? Lord, we need you, and we want you. We want what you have to give us. We've tried everything else in this world, in this life. Nothing satisfies Nothing shows us how to overcome. Nothing really equips us for the battles and the pain that we feel. Lord, come and minister to us and fill us, restore us, fix us, prepare us to face the battles of pain fearlessly and to live your gospel even when it hurts. We pray that the whole world around us might see what your grace looks like enacted. Even when we hurt, your grace is enough. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.